Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. Remember, I mean, I could say, for instance, United Flight 93. And many of you will remember that day, that September day, when we were watching airplanes fall from the sky and United 93 was, was, one, was one flight where the passengers on board said, no, we will not allow this to go forward. And that plane crashed in a field outside Shanksville, Pennsylvania because of the courageous people on board who stopped something more tragic from happening. I could say Tiananmen Square, and this image probably pops into your head, of of the tank man. What's interesting about this guy is that we don't know him. We don't know his name. We don't know where he's from. We don't know anything about Tank Man. We know that this image is illegal in China, that it wouldn't be, uh, there's a high likelihood that when this live stream goes live, that we'll probably even get flagged for a censorship violation, that this, this section right here will not be allowed to be shown in China if anything gets through at all. That represents a, a series of peaceful protests against the communists in China However, much like today, the Communist Party of China doesn't take too kindly to any kind of opposition. Tank Man, again, we don't know his identity, but we probably know what happened to him based on what would happen to him today. I could say Rosa Parks, the Montgomery bus boycott in 1955. Again, what was courageous about Rosa? She didn't get up on the bus. You know, again, we think today get on public transportation and, and you know, it's courtesy to stand up if somebody gets on that uh, is we would deem to be more deserving of a seat than we are. If I'm on a, if I'm on a, a bus or a crowded transportation and, and an older person gets on board, it's an easy thing to stand up. But Rosa didn't stand up. And her decision to not stand will go down in history as one of the most courageous acts in American history. I could talk about Corey Ten Boom in the Netherlands in World War II. A precious saint, a precious child of God who took advantage of her position to hide Jews that were fleeing from Nazi Germany during World War II. Uh, She would eventually be captured by the Nazis and sent to a concentration camp, but of course she will go down in history as one of the most courageous women in the kingdom of God. I could talk about Palm Beach in Ecuador in 1955. Some of you may remember this event. Nate Saint, pictured here next to his airplane, along with four fellow missionaries, Jim Elliott, Ed McCulley, Peter Fleming, and Roger Udarian. These men were making an effort to reach an unreached people group in Ecuador known as the Alca Indians. And instead of reaching these people with the gospel, they were martyred by those they sought to reach. However, their spouses were eventually able to come back and plant churches, gospel-preaching churches among those Indians. I mean, even in our own backyard, you don't have to go far to find examples of courage or memories of courage. There's a national park right in our own backyard. Just drive around and look at the monuments that are there. Those monuments are erected with reminders of the courageous acts, the courageous men who gave their lives, who held the line in service to their nation. We could, again, spend a long time recounting examples of courage. We could go around the room today, and you could share with each, we could share with each other stories of, of courageous people in our lives, courageous people in our families, things that, uh, just rem- examples of where somebody stood in the gap, where somebody stood between you in danger or someone else in danger. And again, how many everyday examples of courage just go untold? 
courageously, men and women facing danger for the sake of others. I mean, think about the firefighter and other careers and professions like firefighters, people who run toward danger and not away from danger. You think about the firefighter who, who runs into the burning building to save the life of somebody inside, risking life and limb just to go inside, and it's, it's part of the job. I mean, if, if one of us ran into a burning building to save somebody, we'd be looked at, how unusual, how, how heroic, but a firefighter goes in and it's, well, that's what he's supposed to do. A, a police officer, I mean, you think about a police officer, he, he puts on his uniform every day, or her uniform every day, puts the badge on, not knowing anything that might happen that day, but knowing that they could be called on at any given moment to risk their lives for the sake of someone else. Again, all these everyday examples of, of courage and, and heroism that, that go untold. How about something just as simple as the child who stands up to the bully on the playground? You know, I, I think we all can remember that playground bully and, and man, you didn't wanna stand up to the playground bully because you might get punched between the eyes. But what about the, the little boy or little girl who says, you know what, I'll take the punch between the eyes because it'll, it'll prove the bully who's, who's boss. Again, these, these everyday examples of courage, they, they are abounding around us. This morning, we begin a journey through the book of Joshua. And it is a book that places a very high value on courage. Some of you have been, uh, you've been in the New Testament a while, so the book of Acts is probably well-worn in your, in your Bible now. So we're going to go back and let you wear out the Old Testament for a little bit. The book of Joshua places a very high value on courage. But it's important as we begin this journey that we understand what courage is from the front. Courage is not some, some macho kind of chest-thumping bravado. Again, that, that's how it's sometimes portrayed, that it's the, it's the model of masculinity, this, this idea of I'm courageous, I'm a man, therefore I'm courageous. But what we're going to see over the coming weeks is that courage is not a product of, of, of us, of, our, of, of who we are, that courage is actually a product of a confident trust in God and a confident belief in his promises. Now, you don't have to be a Christian to be courageous. We, again, see people who are courageous all the time who are not Christians, but I do believe this, that that spirit of courage that exists inside the human heart, I think that's that lingering testimony to the image of God within us. And so when you see somebody behaving courageously, you can look at that and say, God, thank you for that attitude of courage that exists within the human heart. Thank you that human beings are willing to stand in the gap for other human beings. Thank you for that, that spark of divinity that still is within us. And in the coming weeks, we're all going to be challenged to be courageous. What's it mean to be courageous? It means doing the right thing, even when it's hard. Doing the right thing, even when it's hard. It, it means having the courage to be obedient, even when it doesn't make sense. You want me to walk around that city how many times in silence? It means courage to, to listen to God, even when what God's saying, you know, that just doesn't fit, it doesn't make sense, it doesn't seem like it's going to work. We're all gonna be challenged to be courageous. So this morning, let's join General Joshua in our quest to be strong and courageous in the Lord. If you got your Bibles open, hopefully by now you found the place. We'll be in Joshua chapter one as we begin this new series today. Joshua chapter one, I would invite you to stand with me as we read these words from Joshua chapter one, beginning in verse one. 
after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, going toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Father, I thank you for the word of God, for this precious testimony from the book of Joshua. Lord, um, we live in times that can be frightening, and perhaps now more than ever, the church needs to be courageous to stand in obedience, to stand in faithfulness against a hostile world. God, may we be faithful, may we be courageous, and if we find ourselves today afraid to do that which is right, may we find that special measure of grace within us through the power of the Holy Spirit to be obedient to you even when it's tough. We again thank you for this word and thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, you can be seated. I got a one-point sermon for you today. I know, a Baptist preacher says a one-point sermon. That, that, that's either tremendously uh, relieving or tremendously concerning. So you can decide once we're all done here because I need to set the table. We're probably gonna be back in this same passage next week because I've gotta set the table today for us to be able to really get something good out of this, out of this book. And, and the author here, we don't know who wrote Joshua, uh, probably wasn't Joshua. We don't know who wrote Joshua. It's unclear. But the author here has given us pretty clear context for what's taken place. And it is tragic what has happened here. And he starts right off the bat. Moses has died. Moses has died. And again, written after the fact, I don't know the magnitude of the loss is really communicated to us here. Deuteronomy chapter 34 paints the picture a little more clearly. We're told in Deuteronomy 34 verse 7, Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor was unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. Again, uh, 30 days of weeping, that's a, that's a funeral wake right there. 30 days of weeping, but I love that they get to the end and they're like, you know what, we've still got work to do. There's business to tend to. We've wept, we've cried, we've mourned, we've had our funeral wake, but there is still work to be done. I don't know that there's any sort of contemporary analogy that we could make to, to convey the significance of, what it, of what's happened here. Uh, again, in the United States, we have 
politicians who serve longer than they probably should, but, but it's not the same. And I mean, even if a president who served both terms, you know, even if that president were to die near the end of his term, it would be, it would be hard for many people, but it still doesn't just get to the heart of what these people would have experienced when Moses died. Maybe one day when the Queen of England dies, because she's been serving for what, 200 years or something like that. I mean, she's been there forever. Maybe one day when she dies, we'll see something similar with the Brits. I mean, we fought a war that we don't have to worry about that anymore, right? But, but the, the Brits can be worried about it. And so maybe when that happens, we'll see something of this significance, but it still doesn't get to the heart of who Moses was. He was the, he was the leader, but he was more than just a leader. He was hands-on. You know, when the nation needed water, Moses was at the forefront of making sure that they got water. When, they were, when there was a need, he was at the forefront of helping to meet that need. He was hands-on. He wasn't just some, some politician or prime minister who was, in a, who was in an office away from the people. He was with the people. The people saw Moses. They heard Moses. When the camp moved, it was Moses who was leading the movement. And when God spoke to the people, God, Moses was the one who stood up and said, this is what God just said. And so Moses was the mouthpiece of God for these people. When the law was needed to be consulted, Moses was the expert in it because he wrote it all down. So Moses was this incredible figure. When the kids were learning history in, in, in you know, wilderness school, Moses was the one they were learning about. I mean, he was the historian. And here they are. They're on the brink of entering into the promised land. And Moses dies. See, here's, here we are, all the hope and fulfillment of what God had promised all the way back to Abraham. This man who had been the central figure of these people for a generation is dead. And his death was certainly interesting. We're told that he'd been taken up to the mountains so he could see the land. He was not allowed to enter the land because of his own sin. But God allowed him to see the land and there on the mountain, we're told that Moses died. And we're actually told that God is the one who buried Moses. Now, I wonder, as you read this, I, I wonder if they had conspiracy theories surrounding Moses' death, kind of like we, did with, we do with Elvis and other people like that. Like, like, nobody saw the body. Moses is still roaming around somewhere. I wonder if they had those kind of conspiracy theories. But nonetheless... And so you would think, okay, Moses has gone, there's nobody in charge, but that's the beauty of this, is, is there was not even a question, really, about who was in charge. Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 9, and Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him, so the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Not even a question. Nobody rose up to challenge him. Nobody rose up to say, is Joshua really the guy in charge? There's none of that. It was an immediate, instantaneous handover. Moses is gone. Joshua's in charge. There wasn't an election. Everybody knew that Joshua was the guy in charge. You imagine being Joshua, though? Oh, man. You imagine being Joshua, having to step into the shoes of Moses for all you Alabama fans, it'll be like the next head coach coming in once Nick Saban ascends into heaven. If you're not an Alabama fan, you can have all the fun with that that you want to. You got to think Joshua sat down at the desk and kind of propped his feet up for a second and said, oh my goodness, what do I do? 
I mean, just the weight of what he is stepping into here. But we don't get that sense at all. Because here's something that we understand very well from Joshua. Godly courage is birthed out of faithful preparation. Godly courage is birthed out of faithful preparation. There's your one point. And Joshua, the beauty of this, Joshua's not somebody that we meet for the first time in chapter one, verse one. Like, who's this Joshua guy? The fact is, is that Joshua is somebody that, that we have heard about already from, from before in Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And as I said, it wasn't like there was an election where Joshua got the most votes. When Moses died, every eyeball in the nation looked in Joshua's direction because Joshua had been attending the Wilderness Leadership Academy for practically his whole life. And his instructor was none other than Moses. We first meet Joshua all the way back in Exodus chapter 17. You don't have to turn there. Any of the the verses that I want you to look at, I'm going to put on the screen back there. But in Exodus chapter 17, Joshua is introduced as a military hotshot. He is tasked by Moses to put together an army to defeat the Amalekites. And he is victorious. Joshua's army is able to defeat the Amalekites, but it's not all in Joshua's strength. It's not like, you know, he was Mel Gibson in Braveheart and it was all on his leadership and all on his character and all on his enthusiasm that allowed that victory to happen. That's not who this is. Joshua is able to win because Moses is up on the mountain and he's got some friends helping hold the arms up. Joshua is able to win because of a healthy dose of help from the Lord. But man, this victory, this victory fast-tracks Joshua. He's the the guy. He's the general. He's the one who can win our our, our battles. He's the guy. And this fast-tracks Joshua to become one of Moses' key assistants because Moses is not able to do this on his own. And Joshua then benefits. He, He doesn't only benefit from Moses' leadership style, but he benefits from watching Moses' faith as well. In Exodus 24, Joshua is even described as Moses' assistant. Joshua accompanies Moses up Mount Sinai, and even though there's nothing to indicate that Joshua was by his side when he saw the cloud of God's presence, Joshua would have been more keenly aware of what had happened than any other Israelite. In fact, when Moses comes down from the mountain, and you remember what's going on down at the base of the mountain while they're on top of the mountain, you've got the golden calf and you've got the whole nation of Israel engaged in all kinds of godless activities. There's a party going on down at the base of the mountain. It's Joshua who looks and he hears and he tells Moses, he said, there is sound of war in the camp. And Joshua's ready to go fight. There's, there's a battle to be won and... Moses has to break it to Joshua. It's not a battle with swords and spears. It's an entirely different battle altogether. In Exodus 33, one of the things Moses did is he, he kind of built a tent outside of the community so that when he needed to talk to God, he could go hang out at the tent and talk to God. And we're told in Exodus chapter 33 that when Moses would go and talk to God, that even when Moses would leave and return to the camp, I love this. Joshua would kind of linger. Told very specifically, he'd hang out. He'd stay. I mean, wouldn't you want to do that? I mean, you're in a place where you know God is is communicating with Moses. I mean, the Bible says that, that God talked to Moses like a friend. Nobody before has had that relationship. And I mean, you imagine just sitting in that space, sitting in that, in that, in that area where where that level of, of community was happening with God. Joshua lingered. Numbers 13, 
We find that Joshua also gets tasked to be a spy along with some of his closest friends. And they come back from spying out the promised land and Joshua and Caleb are ready because they've been watching Moses, they've been listening, they know the promises of God. They know that God has been promising since Abraham that this land was the land of the promise and it was theirs for the taking and there was milk and there was honey and there was produce and there was victory in the Lord that was right there waiting. The majority rules. And 10 out of 12 said they're too big. Ever felt that way before? That the obstacle you're facing is bigger than the God you serve? Joshua and Caleb said there's no such thing. And of course you know what happens. That leads to those wilderness wanderings. And it galvanized the reality that there were two men who were alive at the Exodus who would enter into the promised land. Joshua and Caleb. That's a heavy, that's a heavy burden to know that you and your friend Caleb are the only two people who were alive to see God's miracle in the Exodus would be alive to see God's promises fulfilled in the land of promise. All of this is preparing Joshua Because that's right, I mean, all of our experiences work together to prepare us for for the tasks that God has for us. Don't ever look down on what you've been through because God's going to use what you've been through to prepare you for where you are today. And so all of these things that have happened in Joshua's lives, the highs, the lows, the victories, the defeats, all of these things are preparing Joshua and the nation for this reality. One day Moses would be gone and Joshua would be the leader. In Numbers chapter 27, we see this confirmed. The Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 38, Joshua, son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter, encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. There's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of action around Joshua. But listen to what God says to Moses in Deuteronomy 3, verse 28. You're an underliner. If you want to go back and get this one, this is one to get. Charge Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he shall go over at the head of this people, and he shall put them in possession of the land that you shall see. Two key words there encourage and strengthen. Encourage and strengthen. This is God's charge to Moses for what to do with Joshua. Encourage and strengthen. Joshua is in a time of preparation. Joshua is being invested in by Moses. Joshua is being prepared for what is to come. And what does God tell Moses to do? Encourage and strengthen him. This is a clear call to investment. Moses is called to pour courage into Joshua because that's what encourage means here. That's what he's saying is is pour courage into him. Show him what courage looks like. Encourage him. It's not the type of encouragement we think of. Oh, you've got the gift of encouragement. You've done so good today. Not that kind of encouragement. That's not what we're talking about here. 
This idea of encouragement is, is to take this young man, Joshua, and invest in him, pour into him, instill courage into him. Moses has been called to develop the strength necessary in Joshua to lead the people. And Joshua is the recipient of this investment as God is working on developing his character to the point of leading these people. There's no denying it. Joshua is a courageous leader because when we meet him in Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, he got that way because Moses has been encouraging him and strengthening him. I go through this to make this point. When Joshua is finally in charge, what does God tell him? Joshua chapter 1, verse 6. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers. You see, Joshua's not suddenly in charge, and now he's got to find the inner strength to be courageous and, and bold and confident and all those sort of things. That's not what's going on here. Joshua, this has been developing in him all along, and so when it's finally time to be in charge, it's finally time to take the reins, it's finally time to fill Moses' shoes, God looks at him, and God calls out that which has already been invested in him. Be strong and courageous because this is what we've been working on all along. It isn't often that you get a one-point sermon from me, but I can't help but think this is one point we desperately need to hear today. And this is one point that is particularly aimed at us as parents and Sunday school teachers and pastors. We need to understand this, that biblically courageous adults come from faithful preparation leading up to it. Again, there's exceptions. There's plenty of folks who overcome a lot of godless circumstances to become faithful followers of Jesus, but I'm not looking at the exceptions this morning. I'm looking at the Christian norm, and here is the Christian norm. Families get up on Sundays, they come to church, and then they have to decide for the rest of the week what they're gonna do about their faith. That's the normal reality, right? I mean, if you were to say, what does a Christian do on Sunday? We get up and go to church. That's normal. That's expected. That's, that's, that's base level here, right? You get up and you go to church. But what we're looking for today, how many of us would love to raise a generation of Joshua's? A generation of young men and young women who have the courage to stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ in whatever environment in which they find themselves. A generation of people who are courageous and bold with the truth of the gospel. We want to raise that generation of Joshua's. But instead of sitting them at the feet of Moses to be encouraged and strengthened and challenged to serve the Lord, we sure do spend a lot of time sitting them at all kinds of other feet. I have this fear that we, in our context, we're busy. We're trying to raise the next generation of Michael Jordans or a new generation of Chipper Joneses or the next generation of Tiger Woodses or maybe the next generation of Tom Brady's. But please listen to me. It doesn't matter how far your kid can hit a baseball. It doesn't matter how good his free throw game is if he can't stand boldly and courageously for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
It doesn't matter how well your child can play the piano or how fast she can pitch a softball. It doesn't matter how good her defense is on the volleyball court if she can't stand courageously for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter how high his GPA is, how many scholarships she gets to go to the university of her choice, or how many job offers and internships they receive when they graduate, if they can't stand boldly and courageously for Jesus. And I don't mean to hurt feelings, but if we're placing more emphasis on their swing than we're placing on their faith, then it shouldn't come as a surprise to us that our young people are turning their backs on Jesus to follow the other things they desire. Mark chapter eight, verse 34. Jesus, in calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jim Elliott, one of the missionaries I mentioned earlier in Ecuador, he wrote in his memoirs before he died, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Now, I'm not suggesting that we sequester our children and keep them in Bible study for their entire lives. Paul even says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, he says, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. We focus on the second part, but the first part matters. Paul says that training in, in, in physical training, that is of some benefit. Bodily training is of some value. If you want to, to, to live a life that's free from cardiac and blood pressure issues, there's, there's wisdom in trying to do some things up front to avoid that. There's, there's wisdom there. But godliness, Paul says, is of value in every way. It's perfect for your baseball playing kid to work on his swing or his pitch. It's perfect for your volleyball playing kid to get good at what she does. It's good for your, school, your student to, to work on his academics and excel at his GPA. Those things are good, but godliness will go far further than his GPA will. There's no doubt Joshua was skilled at many things. He was good at stuff because Moses was investing in Joshua's faith, but guess what? He's also investing in Joshua's administrative abilities. Can you imagine trying to lead the Israelites? Like, you didn't do that as, a, as an administrative chump. Like, you didn't look at this, this million people out here and say, hey, y'all, let's go. I mean, he had to have some administrative abilities. He had to surround himself with, with people who could, who could help him in that. But he also had military prowess. I mean, he knew how to, how to move his army in such a way that he could secure victory. He, he could look at a battlefield and surmise what was going on. He knew he had that ability. The missionaries in Ecuador, they had become proficient in skills other than missionarying. 
They were pilots and radio operators and mechanics. They were skilled in things that that were beyond just sharing the gospel with people. Your kids can excel in athletics or academics or music. But we must help them see that their excellence on the field of competition or in the classroom is in fact a gift from God. And if we're raising a generation of Christian athletes or scholars or musicians who love their hobby more than their savior, we are allowing a terrible tragedy to unfold. But if we're raising them to see that their talents and their prowess and their gifts are from God, to be used for the glory of God, then we are well on our our way to raising the next generation of Joshua's. This morning, as you look at your family, the young people in your life, how are you working today to encourage and strengthen them in what you want them to excel at tomorrow? Again, this isn't just for parents. This is for anybody who's got the opportunity to invest in the next generation. It's not just for for people who are dealing with children and teenagers. Joshua was a, how old was Joshua when he finally got to the promised land? We wandered around the wilderness for 40 years and he was leading an army before that ever happened. So let's go ahead and say he was at least 60 before he ever took charge. And so Moses was investing Joshua as as a grown man, developing that faith in Joshua as a grown man. So if you're an older person, how are you investing in that 30-year-old or that 25-year-old or that 45-year-old? How are you helping to encourage and strengthen that which is in them so that when they're 60 or 65 or 70, that's able to be provoked and called out? Hear me out here. It's not going to get any easier following Jesus. It's not. You guys that work in certain places, you already see the pressure building. You already see more and more where HR departments are looking at your situation and say, you don't need to let that Christian faith shine too brightly here. It's not going to get any easier to follow Jesus. This generation of young people, like none before them, are going to be asked to compromise their faith for the sake of their careers, for the sake of their income. And when that ask comes from the HR department, their baseball swing ain't helping. So how are we encouraging them and strengthening them today? And for the young people in the room, hold on, you're not off the hook. Joshua was not a vegetable sitting in a chair letting Moses inject things in him. He wasn't just sitting there saying, all right, Moses, pour it in, I'm ready. Joshua was an active participant in the whole process. Joshua was taking it in. He was speaking when he he was wrong when he spoke. I mean, he did what youthful people do and and spoke out of turn and got things wronged and, and misread a situation. Of course, he did all those things, but he was trying. He was working. He was at Moses 6 all the time. When Moses left the tent, Joshua was sitting there just processing, taking it in. What does it mean 
for this man to sit here and talk to God like this? What does it mean? So Joshua was watching. Joshua was listening. Young people, you need to be doing all you can today to take in the things of God. If that means that you have to be the one encouraging your family to come to church, then do so with courage. I want you to be the very best volleyball player, the very best baseball player, the very best football player. I want you to throw the fastest softball. I want you to be the best musicians. I want you to be the best and brightest in your class. I know that our youth pastor would love nothing more than for the students at Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church to be honored on senior night, to be honored at those athletic banquets as being the very best and brightest that's out there. But not for the sake of the scholarship. Not for the sake of the plaque. Not for the sake of the trophy. Not for the sake of the transcript. Not because any of those things are an end, but because those things are a platform that God has given to us where we can courageously point people to Jesus. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you for the courage and boldness of General Joshua that wasn't birthed out of a vacuum. It was birthed out of faithful preparation from a man like Moses. Joshua was given the privilege of being in places that nobody else was able to be. He saw Moses go into the cloud on Mount Sinai. He could even hear Moses as he talked to God. He saw his leaders' failures. He saw his incredible victories. And when the time came for him to do that which seemed impossible, he was ready because of his preparation. And so God, I pray today that we as Christian parents and grandparents, that we would work hard to help our kids be the best on the ball field and in the classroom and in the band room, on the ROTC drills, and all those things, God, that we would work hard to make sure they excel at those things. But none at the cost of Jesus. May we help them to see that everything they do and that they excel in is a gift from God. And it is to be used for the glory of God and for the kingdom of God. And may the young people that are here today, may they realize their role in this, that this is not just a one-way street where we pour into empty vessels, but that they would seek you and pursue you they would seek those that can invest in them, encourage them, and strengthen them that when their name is called, just like Joshua's was in chapter 1, verse 1, that they would be ready to stand with courage and with strength in Jesus. God, if there's any here today 
that have not given their faith, given their life to Jesus, that today they would have the courage to cry out to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Just like these young people were baptized last Sunday and had the courage to, to do so. Maybe there's some here today that the courageous step they need to take today is to say, Lord, I am a sinner, and apart from you, I am condemned. But in Christ, there is forgiveness, there is hope, there is salvation, there is eternity. And that today they would have the courage to trust Jesus. God, we pray that we respond to your word and that we'd be faithful to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.